You can be seated. So good to be with you this morning. How good is it to be in church? What a great day. Great day to be alive. Happy Thanksgiving and pre-Merry Christmas. We're all in that season. What a great season. I love this season. I think it's good. Hanging out with family and celebrating and doing cool things. And I love the Christmas season, the holiday season in America. We do it good here. It's summer in Australia right now. So it seems less Christmassy when you're singing songs about snow. And it's 105 outside. And Santa is melting. So it's good. But great, great to be in church and so glad that you're here uh, today. I, I want you, if you've got a Bible, I want you to go with me to the book of Malachi. book of Malachi is what we're going to go to today. And if you've been in church any length of time and I've said we're going to the book of Malachi, you're probably thinking to yourself, he's going to talk on giving. Because it's, it's a sort of go-to book if we're going to talk on tithes and offerings. But I want to encourage you, the book of Malachi is so much more than those few verses in Malachi chapter chapter 3. I want to read to you from Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. They're going to probably put the scripture up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you today. starts off and says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, Esau I have hated, and have laid waste his hill country, and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. Starts off good, ends up like, what the heck is going on here? And that may make a little bit more sense later on. I, I want to speak just briefly on this thought today, on never lose the wow factor. Everyone go, wow. Turn to the person beside you and go, wow. I want to encourage you, never lose the wow factor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our life and penetrate from the inside out. It never returns void, always has an agenda. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. These men and women could have been anywhere else today, but they chose to be in church. Your word declares that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Let us live better today than when we came in. Change our life just that little bit, making us that little bit more like you today, we pray through your word. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had a moment like this, but where you got yourself really worked up, anxious, nervous, fearful about something that never actually eventuated. Anybody ever had one of those moments? You got yourself stressed out about something? Uh, my wife, Anna, and I, we went out on our first date, non-official date, but the first time we actually went out, and we were set up by a friend of ours, Pastor Kent Muncie. Uh, Anna was there with her church in Sydney at the Hillsong Conference, and I was there with my church at the Hillsong Conference. And we knew each other. We knew each other. And Kent was a mutual friend, best friend, and his birthday falls in the Hillsong week. And so it was like the Thursday night at Hillsong. And so he asked Anna and I if we'd like to go downtown and celebrate his birthday. We said yes. And so the three of us went downtown on the Thursday night to celebrate his uh, birthday. We got into town and he said, look, guys, I'm really tired. I want to go back to my hotel and go to sleep. 
and you guys just go out. It was six o'clock at night. Everyone say set up. Yeah, so he set us up on he set us up on a date, which I'll always be eternally grateful for. And and I was interested in Anna. We knew each other, we'd known each other for a couple of years. I was interested in her, but really didn't know if she was interested in me. Uh, simply because she was sending me zero signals, but I'm it doesn't affect me at all. And um, and she was leaving me to guess. And and so we were we, we were in Sydney and so uh, I decided, let's go out on a cruise on Sydney Harbour. So on Sydney Harbour, we're both a part of fairly large churches, and so it was difficult for us to do anything without being noticed. And so this is our only opportunity really to be anonymous. And so on that cruise, I decided to find out whether she was interested in me, to find out whether she liked me, and she was. And so at the end of that, we decided that when we'd go back to America, we would go out on our first official date. And so we lined it up. I was in Seattle, she was in Chicago. We decided about two or three weeks later, uh, I would go to Chicago and we would go out on our first official date. Everyone would go, oh. And so I got on the plane and I left Seattle flying to Chicago. And about halfway there, I get a panic attack. Because I think to myself, what happens if there's no chemistry? Like, what happens if all the chemistry that's happened so far was because we're in Sydney, Sydney Harbour, Opera House, Harbour Bridge. It's in Sydney. It's in Australia. Hillsong Week. What happens if like the euphoria of that moment made her look better than she really was? And, and I definitely had moments when I grew up when I fell madly in love with somebody at summer but by the time fall came, wasn't really feeling it. Like everything had fallen. My emotions, my feelings, her face, everything is like, like, and I know what you're thinking. My mother used to say that to me. Sun beauty's only skin deep. And I'd say, well, you skin her, I'll take her out. And so, so I had this panic attack, I had this panic attack. But what happens if I get there and there's no, there's no, chem- like, how do you, how do you break up? on your first date before you're actually having your first date. And so, we're fl- I'm fl- so I should be excited. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I blame God? Uh, I was flying here. God told me that we should break up. Like, what do I do? How do, how do I end this, you know, nicely? Because we have to sort of stay. Oh, I was freaking out. Landed in Chicago. I should be excited. But now I'm nervous, just freaking out. I'm working out how am I going to break up? What am I going to say? This is terrible. Maybe I should just catch a flight directly back. And so I miss my first. What do I do? I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. I'm walking from Terminal C to Terminal B at O'Hare. And I'm going, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to break up. How's this going to happen? I'm just freaking out. What do I say? And, and, I, and I step out into the baggage claim area. And I do not know how she did this. Do not know. But I stepped out in the baggage claim area and I turned to my right sea of people just a sea of people and then the people parted just like the Red Sea and Anna walked towards me in slow motion her beautiful blonde hair just blowing in the wind from the fans that she had strategically located all throughout the baggage claim terminal John Legend was sitting on a stool (laughs) playing love songs on an acoustic guitar. And just in that moment, all that fear went away. 
And all I can remember my mind going was, wow. And a few dyslexic people, wow. Just, it was just like, it was just, I was blown away by how beautiful. And I can just remember all that fear went to from how am I going to break up to how am I going to marry her now before she changes her mind, <laughs> before God speaks to her, you know. And, 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 and I just made a decision on that day. That, that I never want to ever get to the point where that moment of, of wow dissipates no matter how long we're together. I, I, I want to look at her that way every day. Of our, I, I never want to lose the wow factor. Because one thing that we learn from history is that most of us never learn from history. And that you and I have a propensity to take what's wow and make it normal, to lose the wow factor. And even as Christians... One thing that we can learn from Bible history is that you and I very rarely learn from Bible history. And that if you study the Bible, you find out that, that, that God's people have a history of consistently losing the wow factor. Of starting in that place where everything is awesome and then just moving to a place where we treat everything normal or treat everything with disrespect. The, the book of Malachi opens up and, 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 and there's this prophetic word that we'll study a little bit together. But then it closes and then there's like 400 years of silence. It's almost like, guys, I'm done with you. Sick of being treated that way. And then we get the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. There's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a New Testament. There's going to be a new way of doing things. And you would think with the institution of this new covenant, new way of doing things, that the passion of God's people would change. When, when, when Jesus arrives on the scene, even the 400 years of prophetic silence haven't instigated a hunger in God's people. They're still doing habitually what they have done for thousands of years. That, that's downgrading God and treating God like normal, having lost the wow factor. In fact, Jesus goes into the temple on the Monday of the Passion Week. He's already set his sight towards Jerusalem. He's already heading towards the cross. He already knows what's going down. I almost wonder somewhere in his mind whether he wondered, will it be any different? Will my, will my people treat me any different? When I pay this price for them, will it have any impact on how they treat me? He goes into the temple on the Monday and he finds that, that the, the trading sacrifices, you know, the whole money traders thing. It wasn't about them selling some cheap t-shirts or some Starbucks coffee in the lobby. What they'd set up was this whole industry where they played on the laziness of God's people. They played on the apathy of God's people and made money out of it. So they were profiting off the apathy of God's people where it was like, don't bring a sacrifice in. That's too much hard work. Why don't you just buy one here? We'll sell you a sacrifice, make it easy for you. And so you can make a sacrifice to God with very little effort. And they were profiting on that. That's when Jesus went all psycho, ninja Jesus, flipped the tables, cracked the whip, chased them out. Because he was agitated that God's house should have been a house of prayer. And yet it was a house of apathy. Because he's wondering, will it be any different? Well, then you get to the book of Revelation and you find out the answer to that question is, no, not going to be that much different. In the Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaks to seven churches. To one church, he says, listen, you've lost your first love. We're only 90 years of age. We haven't been going that long. And you've already lost 
your first love. He speaks to the church of Laodicea and says, you're doing a lot of really cool things. Got good ministry, good worship, good preaching, good buildings, but, but, but you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. You, you, you've lost the wow factor. You've diminished it. You, you, you've got this place of apathy. And this is a habit of God's people to lose the wow factor. Genesis chapter 1. You see the earth being created, moves in the creation of Adam and Eve. And here are Adam and Eve placed in the garden. God says to them, walk with me daily and you can have the whole planet to eat from. Enjoy, knock yourself out the whole, how many think that's pretty well? But somewhere along the line, they're, they're, they're like, this is cool, walking with God, eating any fruit we want. But somewhere they just lost the wow factor. And they started to treat God like normal. And they gave themselves permission to eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then that pattern follows Israel all the way through the Old Testament. Sins of Jeroboam, which become a benchmark uh, for what kings were judged by, was Jeroboam's ability to play on the apathy of God's people. In fact, King Ahab, who was the worst king, thought the sins of Jeroboam were trivial, like the whole apathy thing. And there's this thing plagued them right through till you get to Malachi. And then in the book of Malachi, it opens up and God says, I love you. And then they reply with, well, how have you loved us? And then we go into that awkward verse where it says about Jacob and Esau and Jacob's, you know, sort of being laid to the fields and the waste and the jackals and all that, which when you read, it's like, oh, that's a bit, a bit heavy for a Sunday morning. But this is what's going on. Let, let, let me tell you. Well, this is what happens. God says, I love you. Israel responds with, how have you loved us? And the rant that God goes on, it's not for him to be mean. It's, 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 it's more like, let me, let me paraphrase it. God says, I love you. Because that's how I think God sounds. That's how God's, I think that's God's voice. How are you doing? This is the Lord. That's how I think God sounds. It's going to be awkward if I get to heaven and he doesn't sound like that. Like if I walk to the throne and he's like, hello. And I'm like, who are you? I am the Lord. <laughs> Thought you would have had a cooler voice. <laughs> but God says, I love you. And then they respond with, well, how have you loved us? That's like God's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Like, is, is, have you looked at history? Have you checked it out? Has no one talked to you, Jacob? You, you, you weren't supposed to get the blessing. You do realize you weren't the firstborn. You do realize you were the second of the twins. Esau was supposed to get the birthright. You stole the birthright. But I gave it to you anyway. You got it by grace. Have you checked out how I've looked after you? Do you know your history on how I've blessed you? Have you heard about promised land? and promises, and Abrahamic covenant? Have you not heard of it? Have you seen how I've looked after you? Do you not realize how good I've been to you? Do you not know how bad you've been to me? Do you not know that you've been on this cycle? I've been blessing you. You're getting apathetic. You're rebelling against me. 
You're going into division, going into captivity, me rescuing you again. You, have you not, there's no one, uh, uh, seriously, are we here? And I say, I love you, and you question me? Are you that dead that you don't know our relationship together? The book of Malachi is that conversation. If you sum Malachi up, it's a conversation between God saying, I feel like this from you, and Israel going, well, how? Why? Like, how have we done that? They are clueless to how they're treating God. In verse 2 of chapter 1, God says, I don't feel loved. Chapter 6 of chapter 1, God says, I don't feel revered. In verse 7, chapter 1, God says, I don't feel appreciated. Chapter 2, verse 17, God says, I don't feel respected. Chapter 3, verse 8, God says, I don't feel trusted. Chapter 3, verse 13, God says, I don't feel valued. In each and every situation, Israel's clueless. In each and every situation, they have no idea that their behavior is dishonoring God. And when the wow goes, honor goes with it. When you lose the wow factor, you lose the honor. Uh, Scripture says in verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, God says, where is my honor? If I am a master... Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you who despise my name? Yet you say, have we despised your name? When the wow goes, the honor goes with it. To honor something just simply means this, to add value. You're going you're to give value. You're going to add value to something. That's what honoring means. It means I, I value you enough or I value this thing enough to treat it with value. So I treat it with value and I give it value. So when you lose the wow factor, when you lose that being blown away by how amazing this thing is, then you tend to take value away or you won't add value to it. Uh, A son honors his father and a servant honors his master. There is an expectation from God that honor is going to happen in the kingdom of God. Honor is a kingdom of God culture. It's not an optional extra. You and I, giving honor, having honor, showing value, having value, it's not something that you and I can take or leave. It's supposed to be a part of our kingdom nature. In the kingdom of God, parents should be honored by their children. In in the kingdom of God, elders should be honored by the younger. In the kingdom of God, the poor should be honored by us being generous. In the kingdom of God, men of God should be honored by the people of God. In the kingdom of God, husbands should honor their wives and wives should honor their husbands. In the kingdom of God, a gracious woman should be honored. A man of wisdom, the Bible talks about, should be honored. In the kingdom of God, it's honor up, it's honor down, it's honor all around. You and I, our lives should be marked by being people of honor and people of value. And God anticipates, expects, I would even go as far as demands by His culture that you and I honor Him. Now, now the thing about God is God never demanded to be our only priority. He just demanded to be our number one priority. 
He didn't say to you, you, you have to make me the only priority. Don't value anything else in life. Just value me and don't have a priority. He knows you need other things. He, he knows there's other, there's other priorities in life. He says, I know there's other things that you're going to do, but just make me number one priority. Put me first before everything else. Don't make me the only thing, but make me the number one thing. There's some songs that we sing in church that, that, that I know they mean good, and I know the expression of the heart of the writer means good, but if you take it logically, it doesn't make, like, like I only want Jesus. I want nothing else. I, I don't want anything. The, just give me Jesus. Take everything else away. Just give me Jesus. Now, that sounds really, really good. God doesn't expect you to live like that. He wants you to have some other things other than Jesus. I want you to have other things other than Jesus. Like if he takes everything else away and you only have Jesus, that makes for an awkward Sunday. Like if he takes all of our clothes away. Like if you're all naked, that'll make it awkward for me preaching right now. If we're all make naked, it'll make it awkward for you watching me preach right now. It wouldn't be pleasant. It wouldn't be a good thing. If he took your car away, we'd all be walking naked. to our homes that don't exist anymore. We'd be, we'd be knocking on our neighbor's door, carless, naked, because God answered our prayer. What do you got? Just Jesus. He didn't demand to be the only thing. He just said, I want to be the main thing. Don't put anything else in front of me. But here's the reality. You can lose the wow and not even be aware how. A son honors his father and a servant his master. It's possible for those to lose honor. Because in the New Testament, Jesus told two parables. A son that dishonored his father by wasting the inheritance, and a servant who dishonored his master by burying his talent. So it's possible. And both of those parables pointed to the father. So it's possible for us to dishonor God, to lose the wow factor in life and not even realize it. And what starts in honor actually can end in division if we don't realize that we're losing the wow factor. Honor slides. Things start in honor. If you look here, starts in honor, goes to familiarity, contempt, dishonor. That's the honor slide. What starts in honor, honor is that where it's wow and it's valuable and it's amazing and it's incredible and, and I love this and it's awesome. Familiarity doesn't mean that you necessarily don't still like it. You just don't like it as much as you used to. Familiarity means you've hung around a little bit and you've got used to it and, and now it's not as wow as it used to be. Contempt is that place where you're starting to get aggravated slightly about little things. They may have always been there, but, but now you identify little things that aggravate you and it's sort of beneath the surface. It may not even be verbalized. Dishonor is when you're verbalizing, when you are, when you are dishonoring. Now, now, here's the deal. You are always going to have honor. So dishonor is not a lack of honor. Dishonor is my honor should be going here, but now it's going here. It's just misplaced honor. I should be honoring God, but now I'm honoring me. So I'm still honoring. We are 
created to be creatures of worship. We're supposed to be worshipers. That's our nature. So instead of worshiping God, now I worship myself. Instead of worshiping God, now I worship my job. Instead of worshiping God, now I worship my sport. Instead of worshiping God, I worship my car. I, instead of valuing God, I value something else. So it just means that my honor is moving. And when it moves to dishonor, then it will always go to division. Now, now, now our, our danger is familiarity. Familiarity is what the Bible calls lukewarm. And lukewarm is a state that's hard to recognize. It's not hot. You're not cold, but you are lukewarm. Why would he say, I'd rather be hot or I'd rather be cold? I'd rather you have honor. I'd rather be in division. But lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That, that seems extreme. But the reason why he says honor, hot or cold is because both of those are recognizable. When the day is hot, you know it's hot. Because what do you do? You walk around going, man, really hot and you're sweating and somebody kill me down it's hot you're complaining it's hot you live in texas so you know what it's like to be hot when it's cold you're walking around oh it's cold now you live in texas you have no authority to talk about what's cold you get it at 50 degrees 50 oh my gosh oh it's 50 freezing here i think that's cold not cold i come from chicago we had a minus 50, minus 50. You know how cold minus 50 is? Take your 50, take the 50 away, go another 50. That's minus 50. That's cold. In our weather forecast on that day, said if you go outside, you're in danger of hypothermia, frostbite or death. Death. Any day death from going outside is in your weather forecast. That's not a good day. And it's not even a good way to die. Is there any more embarrassing way to die? Could you imagine you're dead? You're in heaven. You're walking around heaven chatting to people. Hey, man, how you doing? You're doing good because we're in heaven. Oh, how did you get here? Well, I was in the war in Afghanistan. One of my fellow soldiers was captured by the Taliban. So I snuck in between behind enemy lines, rescued him. He got away free, but as I was running, poof, got shot in the back of the head, ended up in heaven. What about you? How'd you die? Well, I was on a cruise. A little three-year-old girl fell overboard. I dived in the water. She was drowning. Got her out of the water, mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, threw her back onto the boat. She survived. As I was scrambling up the boat, Great White came past bit me in half, and I died a horrible death. How'd you die? Uh, I was in Chicago, and I opened the door, and I walked outside. What, did you get hit by a bus? No, the air. Death by air. Death by a breeze. Not even a big breeze, just a slight breeze. So lukewarm is that state that you don't recognize. Like very rarely is the temperature perfect that you walk around going, it's perfect here today. 
That, that's the danger. And, and here's the, the, the trouble. If you don't arrest it in the lukewarm state, the propensity is not for it to get hotter, it's for it to get colder. So you've got to arrest it in familiarity. You can follow this all the way through relationships. Look at marriage. When you think about relationships, the, the highest level of relationships would be marriage. I love you. You're beautiful, special. I want you to be my only one. Let's spend our life together. But then familiarity kicks in. Familiarity allows you to do and say things that honor would never allow you to do. So there's things when you're dating, when you're engaged, when you're getting married, it's like, woo, honest high, adding value. So you don't want to add anything to the mix that diminishes the value. So everything's high in value. When familiarity comes in, now the shine's gone off it. Now you give yourself permission to do and say things that honor would never allow you to do. I was in an elevator in California recently, and the maintenance guy at the hotel got in the elevator with me. And I said, oh, you nearly finished work? He said, yeah. I said, what are you doing tonight? He said, oh, I'm going home to visit the old ball and chain. Who was he referring to? His wife. Why would he call her that? Because they're familiar. He did not call her that when they were dating. This is a comment of someone who's familiar and, and feels it's okay to call his wife something that's fairly degrading. I, I made a commitment in my dating phase with my wife. I will never pass gas in front of my wife. I just made a decision not to do that. And I have never, in all the years we've been married, passed gas in front of my wife. Now, she would say I have. But I don't think when you sleep counts. <laughs> I think that's extreme judgment. <laughs> and, and why not? Well, because I didn't when we were dating. Why should I now? I don't want to allow familiarity to, to creep in to me to devalue her. Then it moves into contempt. Contempt is that thing where it was probably always there, but now it just aggravates the fire out of you. You gave an exception to it when you were dating, even though, but now it just aggravates you. So it'd be like, you know, like a lady going, oh, I just hate it when my husband scratches his backside in public. Such a disgusting habit. Sits out there in the lobby scratching his backside, then he stands on the door greeting people. I wouldn't want to shake his hand. You know, it's like... <laughs> now when they were dating... She knew, she saw him scratching his backside. But back then it's like, oh, I see he's scratching his backside. I'd like to scratch that backside. <laughs> <laughs> Don't scratch it yourself. Let me scratch it for you. <laughs> Dishonor now comes when you see somebody at work and there's a guy at work that you're like, he doesn't scratch his backside. I wish my husband was more like him. I wish my wife was more like her. And you start giving value to somebody that you shouldn't be giving value to. That always leads to division. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden started out strong with relationship with their worshipping and, and spending time with God. But somewhere along the line, familiarity kicks in and they start to give themselves permission to question God. Has God really said we shouldn't eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's what familiarity does. Contempt, they look at the tree and they say, why won't he look at, let us eat of that? Look, it's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. It's desirable to make one wise. He's holding out on us. Dishonor comes when they take the fruit and they eat it. Division comes when they're kicked out of the garden, hide themselves from the presence of God. Happens in church. 
in church life. We get all excited when you get saved. I love my church. I love exchange. This is great. Love our pastor. We have the best pastors in the world. Love our praise and worship. Man, when they started off today with that. And the guy was white. And it was just like, it was like, just like, woo. And they got candles. Candles and you guys are so good. You know, just love, everything's good about you. Just love church. You come early, you leave late. You know, you're excited about everything. But, but then familiarity comes in and then you start to come late and leave early. Contempt comes. Now little things aggravate you. I wish they wouldn't sing that song. Why do they have to sing a worldly song in worship? They're singing a worldly song in worship. You play that back mask. It's got weird, you know, it's like... Dishonor comes where you get judgment and critical, get people around you. And then division comes when you leave, take people with you and say, God told you to leave. They did it in the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, honor was high. The eyes of everyone were fixed on him. They were marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Then familiarity kicked in. Is this not Joseph's son? We grew up with this kid. He's not all that great. We know what he's like. Jesus challenges their contempt. I know what you're thinking. The miracles you did in Capernaum do here. He said, prophet's only without honor in his own country. They dishonored him by becoming enraged. And then they tried to bring division by throwing him off the edge of the cliff. Psalm 1 starts off with honor. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. Familiarity kicks in when they walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Contempt comes when you stand in the pathway of the sinner. Dishonor, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Division, the ungodly are like the chaff that the wind drives away. In Israel's history, Exodus 32, honor is high. Israel are worshippers of God. Familiarity comes. Why? Who does Moses think he is? Contempt, why is on the mountain so long? Dishonor, make us a God that we can see. Division, a golden calf is worshipped. It's a pattern. One of the things that we learn from Bible history is that you and I rarely learn from Bible history. How, how, how do we guard against familiarity? That, that, that's the enemy. Familiarity is the enemy because it's unrecognizable. And you start to get into that slide and you don't even know you're going down. How do we arrest that in, in, in any of those stages? Here's a couple of thoughts before we wrap up this morning. The first one is this. Guard your heart against entitlement. Guard your heart against entitlement. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have you loved, how have you loved us? Appreciation is the key. When good things happen in life, don't treat it like it's a right. Always remember it's a blessing. If people are good to you, if your parents are good to you, don't treat it like it's a right. You married the one that you love, don't treat it like it's a right. Treat it, like it's val treat it with value no matter how long you're together. Ne never, never lose appreciation because sometimes good things are just rolling off, bam, 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 and then you can just get used to it. And you can become a brat pretty quickly. Very easy to get a brat syndrome. A couple of years ago, I was uh, preaching in Australia on the Gold Coast, and I was staying at the Hilton Hotel, and they'd upgraded me to a suite on the 45th floor. Beautiful view looking down the coast of, uh, of, of Australia there. And I preached for this church, uh, uh, Glow Church, in the morning, and I was having a break in the afternoon and going back to preach at night. Got back to my hotel room after lunch at about 3 o'clock, and my room had not been made up by housekeeping at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was furious, not, not annoyed, 
furious. So inconvenient, they're going to come in my room, and they're going to make my room up, and I'm trying to get ready for the things I'm good, and I'm furious. And so I go down to the 14th floor to the concierge lounge, where, because I am stay a lot at hotels, I've got a high status, and so I walked in, and I know the people, Lena is the girl in the concierge lounge, I walk in, and she said, hello, Mr. Morgan, how are you doing? And I go, I am not good Lena. Look at the time. You know what time is? Three o'clock. You know what? Housekeeping had not been in my room. My room's not made up. My room's dinner. Housekeeping's going to come any moment now. And this is, a, it's annoying to me. It's so annoying. And she's like, Mr. Morgan, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. It's terrible. I get them on. Just grab a seat over here. And she sits me down. And I'll make you a coffee. And, and so she's making lattes and stuff like that. Bringing me coffee. And she's on the phone. Mr. Morgan's room's not made up. You evil Satan people. You know, she's like yelling at people. While all this is going on, I'm sitting there looking at the beach. And I think to myself, I am angry because someone didn't make my bed. Like, you are a brat when you are angry because I hardly even mess my bed up. I sleep pretty sound. If I wanted to make my own bed, this is the energy I would have to exert. I'd have to get the sheet. The bed is now made. I didn't even need fresh towels. I'd only use one. They give you a bajillion. I didn't really need housekeeping to do anything. And I'm losing my mind because someone didn't make my bed. So Lena comes over and goes, Mr. Morgan, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, Lena, I'm sorry. She goes, why are you sorry? I said, Lena, I'm losing my mind because someone didn't make my bed. Mr. Morgan, you should. You should be angry that the housekeeping didn't, you know, you, will you pay for that? No, I said, that may be true that I pay for it, but Lena, I'm who made your bed today? And she said, oh, I did. I said, Lena, when you'd finished making your bed, were you so exhausted that you had to lay back down in the bed only to get up and have to remake it again? To be so exhausted that you had to lay back down on it again to get back up and have to make it again? Like, like how exhausting is lifting a sheet? What happens is you just get used to blessing and you become spoiled and you don't even realize that you're becoming entitled. Second thing, never, never be aware of the seduction of proximity. A son honors his father, a master, a servant, his master. Both of those relationships speak of proximity. The closer you are to something, the less wow it seems. When I was 10, all I wanted was a bike for Christmas. And I remember when I got that bike for Christmas, I treated it so special. No one was allowed to ride it. No one was allowed to touch it. It had its own space in the garage. I polished it every day. It was spectacular. But I don't know how long it took. Maybe six months, maybe six weeks, possibly six days. Before the wow of the bike become, it's just a bike. And it wasn't like no one could touch it. It's like everyone could touch it simultaneously. So many people can fit on this sucker. And then, then instead of putting it in the garage, just dumped it in the front yard as I ran to do new things that had caught my interest. And while it may be not that important with things like a bike, 
Things like relationships in God. We're to make sure that we don't throw them on the back burner in the pursuit of other things that now are getting our value and getting our attention. Uh, don't entertain diminishing or honor-diminishing conversations. Don't entertain honor-diminishing conversations. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8, it goes, When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? What's God saying? He says, you treat me different than you treat everything else. You've given yourself permission to treat my kingdom with less respect than you treat everything else. Try doing at work how you treat my kingdom. If you turn up late this morning to church, you can be forgiven. Tryptophan effect from Thanksgiving, you slept in, we get it. But if you're late every week, you have an issue. And we like to give it a name. That's what we've done. We've given ourselves permission to give lateness a name. In New Zealand, it's called Polynesian time. Hawaii, Hawaiian time. Go to Africa, African time. Everyone's got a reason. Oh, this is Texas time. We, we give ourselves a, a name for it because we give ourselves permission to be late to church. Yet, God says, try that at work. See how it goes for you. You turn up to work as late as you come to church and see how long you've got a job. And if you don't turn up to late work and you turn up to late at church, God says you actually value work more than you value me. And God says, I don't expect you not to value work and only to value me. I just expect you to value me more than you value anything else. And we can only see how much you value him by how you treat him, by making him number one priority. Let me, let me give you two more things and then we'll wrap up. And you know we're going to wrap up. You've got the sign we're wrapping up. The international Christian sign of we're nearly finished here. Soft music playing in the background. It's one of my favorite parts of church. And you do it wonderfully. One of my favorite parts of church because everything I say now sounds really spiritual. Some of you be people that have been waiting for the meat of the word when we get into the meat, she plays music behind me no matter what I say now. Sounds like meat. Have you noticed like the last couple of moments? Man, he just went, he was just being funny, but now he's incredibly spiritual. No, same me. A little bit of background music. For those of you that are new to church, this is also a community service we do for the ADD people. Because about now, they're at the point like, we're nearly done! And the music is like, it's like fistfuls of Ritalin to the soul. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you one more. Remember this. Remember that your words are chariots of honor. Your words are chariots of honor. Malachi 3.13 says, You've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evil doers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Watch your words. Your words are chariots of honor. They carry honor. They either carry value, they carry life, or they carry death. 
How we speak to each other really matters. How you speak to your spouse, how you speak to your parents, how you speak to your boss, how you speak to your pastor, how you speak to each other matters. Your words carry weight. They're chariots of honor. You know it's a chariot of honor. I say to my wife, beautiful, babe, honey, sweetheart. What? They're, they're chariots of honor that are directed to my wife. If I was in the lobby today and there was some young girl out there, I'd say, hey, babe, hey, sweetheart, hey, honey. Hey, you'd be like, whoa, whoa. That's, that's jacked up. Why? Because you're giving your chariots of honor to somebody who shouldn't have that. They, that those chariots of honor belong to your wife. So your words matter. They, they, they carry weight. So we build each other up. You're awesome. You're incredible. I love you. You're amazing. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, to the children's workers out here, thank you for looking after my children today. Thank you for not looking, even just looking after them. Thank you for ministering. They're chariots of honor. You, you just got to learn how to value the things that are around you that are valuable. And maybe the whole band can come up now on this thought. Israel has lost the wow. And when you lose the wow, you lose the power. Honor, honor is not just important. Valuing things is not just important because something needs to be valued. In the kingdom of God, God's power backs honor. And this is how it works in the kingdom. When honor is high, it releases the power of God. When honor is low, it, it strangles the power of God. So you and I need to be honor conscious, not just so we can be honorable, and it should be a part of our nature, but we should be honor conscious because we need a move of God's presence. We need God's power. Our, our community needs a visitation of Jesus. In, in the scripture, in Malachi 2, God rebukes the priests. And pretty much, I'll just short, shorten the verse, verse 4. You can read it later, verse 2 and 3. He says, you priests who despise my name, you're blessing and I'm cursing your blessings. In other words, you're doing things and I'm not backing you with my power. You're doing a lot of ministry, you're doing it in your own strength. You're praying for people, heal them in your own power. You don't value me, then heal them in your own power. You're playing, praying financial blessing on somebody, you don't value me, bless them with your own financial blessing. I'm not backing you. I'm not backing you. God says, if you want me to back your prayer, then you need to give me honour. If you want me to back your faith, then you need to show me honour. Don't, don't try to use me as a tool. Value me first. Then when you pray, I'll back you. When honour is high, power of God flows. Woman with the issue of blood. Honour is high. If I touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. Jesus said, the Bible says, Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his own town. Why? Because a prophet's only without honor in his hometown. Think about this. Jesus, Jesus couldn't do a miracle because there was no honor. The lack of honor stifled the miracle power of Jesus. We've got no hope if Jesus had no hope of having power without honor. Yet the opposite is true. When honor was high, Jesus didn't do anything and someone got healed. Think about that. Honor is high, Jesus is doing nothing. Heal somebody. Honor is low, Jesus is trying to do something, nothing happens. 
You see that? Honor is high. Jesus walking, boom, heals this woman who could not. Miracles happen in an atmosphere of honor. Even when Jesus is just there, but not doing anything. You can get healed in worship with no one praying for you. Just when honor is high, yet the opposite is true. Jesus is trying to do something and nothing happens. That's what happens when honor is low. When you value church, when you value God, when you value leadership, when you value each other, when you value them, when you value the freedom that you and I got to come to church today and worship without any persecution. We got to worship openly. When you value how brilliant all these people are, they came early to church to rehearse. Got here at 8.10. For an 8.15, service, uh, 8.15 worship start, two weeks after back surgery. If you don't value that, so thank you for coming and making worship so great today at, at your own cost. Does that make sense? When we val- Never lose the wow factor. This is pretty amazing what we get to do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. And Lord, we just want to never lose the wow factor. This is an amazing church. We've got amazing pastors. We've got amazing leaders. We've got an amazing worship team. We've got amazing sound men and women, production people. They came in early to make sure that we could get words to songs on the screen. That the, that the technical things like microphones and lighting was all working. We have people that came to church today early so they could set up to look after our children. We've got people in the lobby, in the cafe. We've got greeters who've already prayed over the service, pastors who've been believing and trusting for us. Lord, we live a blessed lives. And we've got a God whose presence is here today. We've got brothers and sisters that we get to know in church. and We've got parents who love us. And Oh God, we just live in such a blessed world, such a blessed life. God, let us never lose the wow factor. Keep our heart and mind strong with you. Maybe you're here today with your eyes closed right now, just thinking about you and you don't know Jesus and you don't know God and you're checking church out, maybe for the first time or maybe you've been coming a few times and you know you're not right with Him. You honor God by taking the first step by saying, God, I need you in my world. I can't do this anymore on my own. I need you in my world. And, and you turn that around with a prayer. We're going to pray that prayer in a moment, asking God for you for a brand new start in your life and relationship with Him. Maybe you're here today and you go, John, I am a Christian. I've definitely prayed that prayer. But I know I haven't been living with honor. I know I've been living in a place of complacency. Maybe lukewarm. Maybe it's not that you're far away from God, but maybe lukewarm. And you want to turn that array around today. Or maybe you're far away. Maybe you're at the other end in the division end, and you want to come home to God, one prayer away from turning it around. Fresh start right here, right now. I'm going to invite everybody to pray. But if you fall into that category, you need a fresh start in your life and relationship with God. Pray this prayer out loud, strong, with faith with me. Everybody pray it together today. Say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, and I'm asking you for a fresh start in my life and relationship with you. Please forgive me for living my life far from you. Today, I want to come home. I want to know you, your love, your mercy, and your grace. And as you forgive me 
Give me the strength to forgive those who've hurt me, who've sinned against me, and set me free today. Make all things new right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Why don't you give Jesus a round of applause?